So with the coronavirus going around, I put up a, a little sign here at our church um, on the doors. And Susan and my wife, uh, Shoa, they both helped me put this up yesterday. And just to let us know, uh, some of these are recommendations from the local uh, Butte Health Department as well as from the state health department. I was able to get in touch with the faith organization uh, liaison for the for Butte County Health Department, and I was talking to her, and uh, I did I did talk to her about our congregation, the demographic of our congregation. I was seeking for her opinion to see if she feels that we need to uh, cancel our services, and she did recommend that at this time, um, even though those who are 60 years of age or older are at higher risk, she did feel that as long as we we stay about six feet apart when we come together, that for now we should be safe. And so things can change anytime. And so I'll continue to be in contact with the um, health department as well as with the conference to see what we will be doing. And if we ever do end up having to cancel our church worship service, uh, I will be doing a service from home and it will be live stream on our um, Facebook page. And so make sure you have that. We did, Jeremy and I, we talked briefly about uh, streaming it on YouTube so everybody has access to that. But um, I was informed by Jeremy that we need at least, we don't know exactly the number, but around 100, at least 100 um, people following us, somewhere around there. And so at this time, our channel on YouTube only has six people, okay? And so I need you guys to go on YouTube and just go and like it and, and follow us so that way we can do live stream on YouTube also. So that really helps us, you know, uh, because, you know, on, on YouTube, more people will have access to that. And so I just want to let us know about that. And so the, the sheet or the sign that I put up here talks about reducing your risk of coronavirus infection. And the first thing here is that we encourage you to please stay home if you're sick, okay? So please stay home if you're sick and or uncomfortable attending church service. Now, a few people did um, contact me um, this past week telling me that they're just uncomfortable being here this Sunday. And I did tell them that if you're uncomfortable, then I do ask that you stay home, okay? Stay home at this time until the coronavirus passes. And so and if you're sick, you're coughing, you have, you know, <clears throat> sneezing, things of that sort, have, a, have the flu or anything, um, please do stay home. Also, clean your hands with soap and water or alcohol-based hand sanitizer, okay? And so we go out in the, in the public, we're touching all kinds of hard surfaces, doorknobs and things of that sort, and these things can uh, transfer the uh, virus to us. And so make sure that once you're out in public, once, you know, you're, you're, you've touched something, make sure to wash your hand with some kind of soap or alcohol-based hand sanitizer. And we do provide that here at our church. And in, in the back there, um, we do have uh, sanitizers, the, the wipes, the sanitizer wipes, along with the, um, just the hand sanitizer that you can use, okay? And so it's, back, it's in the back here for anybody who feels like using them. If you want to, when you come in, you want to take one of those wipes, uh, sanitizing wipes, and, and wipe down your seat or anything like that, feel free to do that, okay? And also at the same time, uh, today we will not be passing around that plate, the offering plate. We are leaving the offering plate in the back. And so um, after the worship service, uh, you, when you're, you're going out, you can go, feel free to just um, put your offerings and your tithe 
and those offering plates. And we do provide gloves for those who will be counting the money. I do encourage you to put on those gloves. It's in the back also. And also to sanitize, to use the wipes to sanitize the, <clears throat> the plates before you actually touch it. Okay, and so I do encourage us to do that. Um, another thing is that we want to avoid handshake and close contact with other people during this time. Also avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth, of course, when the virus is on your hands. It can't go anywhere, okay? It can't go anywhere, but once you start touching your eyes, your nose, and your mouth, that's when it's able to go uh, into your body. And so we want to, you want to make sure that you're, you avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth until at least after you've washed your hands, okay? And then if you, you cough or sneeze, you know, do so with a tissue if available. If not, they suggest into a flexed elbow. And we also encourage everybody to stay six feet apart from other people uh, when you come to church. Try to do that. Um, and people of age 60 and over are at a greater risk with this coronavirus. And so I just want to make sure you are aware that one of the general rules that we are following here, um, here in our circuit is that once the schools start closing down, then we're very likely that we're, we're probably going to close down too. I know Pastor Dave and I, we, we talked about this yesterday. He's in Willows. And he said, oh, Chang, I'm not closing down under any circumstances, right? But I'm saying, you know what? For, you know, what the recommendation is that if the church starts closing, I mean, if the schools start closing down, then we're, we're most likely going to close down our service until further notice. So just to let all of us know that. And I'll, like I said, I'll continue to stay in touch with the health departments and with the conference. And uh, we'll go from there. If anything changes, I'll let you know. Okay, and so we've been talking about this topic, this topic about building, about discipleship. One of the things, you know, when Pastor, you know, Pastor Bob and I, we talked a little bit about it, and Pastor Bob was telling me that, you know, Chang, you're very good at, at casting out a vision for the church, and that's something that he encouraged me to continue to try to do, is to cast a vision, cast a vision, or give us some goals and some, some things for us to really work on as a church. And I feel that discipleship, discipleship, I've been doing this for many, many years. And discipleship is a very one thing that really helps the church to grow. You know? And so we've been talking about discipleship all year so far. And of course, last week, we got to this topic of building. There's five steps in making disciples. Okay? And I want, I want us to understand these things. And I want us to pay attention to these things. Because after we talk about it, we are going to try to implement them. We're going to try to, these topics that I'm talking to you about. I want to, once, once I share all these topics with you, I'm going to start teaching about these topics on an individual basis. And it's going to take a long time, okay? It's going to take a long time. You know, just on this course, on, just on this series of discipleship, it's taken us more than three months already. And so I want you guys to remember this. So what are the five, what are the five steps to discipleship that we've been talking about? Anybody want to? Take a guess. What is the first one? Okay, building is one of them. It's up here. Okay. <laughs> what is the first one? Salvation. salvation. Okay. What did we call it? It is salvation. What did we call it? The first step is winning, right? We want to win. We want to win people. We want to bring them to salvation. Okay. So winning the lost or winning you know, the, those who... It's pretty much evangelizing. We want to be able to do that. What's the second part? The second part is building. Okay. Now, what, what goes on after building? What is the third step? 
Teaching, okay. Teaching is part of building. That's good teaching. Okay, anything else? Okay, after we build, we want to equip. Okay, we want to equip our people. We want to make sure that, they ha- <clears throat> that we're not only teach them, teaching them, but we want to equip them with the resources, with the opportunities to be able to actually put the things that they've been learning into action, okay? And so that's equipping. And then after we equip, then we're able to multiply the leaders. That's the next step, is to multiply the leaders in our church. And then the last step is to be able to send them out, okay? Send them out of the church to do ministry outside of the church, do missions or do to uh, plant other churches and things like that. One, one of the things at the conference right now, I talk, I met with the, the conference, uh, one of the conference leaders um, about a month ago, and one of the things that we talked about was church planting. We want to be able to plant new churches, um, especially in the ethnic ministry, because the ethnic ministry is growing, you know, in, in, in our, our conference and throughout the United Methodist Church here in, uh, in, in the United States. So, uh, so this leader, I forget his name, but he's one of the leaders at the conference who is in charge of leadership development and church planting. And so this is one, one of the things that, that I met with him and we talked about it is how are we going to go about, like how are we going to go about doing church planting is here, in our, here in our conference, especially within the Hmong and also the ethnic ministry, okay? And so this is a goal that we have eventually is we want to be able to have leaders that we can send them out to plant more churches and to grow us. You know, if we look at the history of, of Christianity here in the United States of America, we see that the, the Methodist Church has a tremendous, tremendous impact on Christianity here in America. You know, we, you know back in the, you know, the, the 1700s and things like that, back, back, even all the way back to the first Great Awakening here in America, it was about John Wesley and Charles Wesley and, and the guys like Whitfield and, and uh, Edwards and people of that sort that really gave rise to uh, Christianity here in America. And then during the Second Great Awakening, it was pretty much the, the United Methodist Church with all the circuit riders, you know, all, those, all the lay pastors that were, you know, traveling across the country to preach the good news, right? And so the United Methodist Church, we have a tremendous, or the Methodist Church, we have a tremendous, tremendous impact on the on Christianity here in America, on, on its theology and the way that it does things. Now, John Wesley is not known as a great theolo- theologian, okay? He's not known as that in Christian history, but he is known as one of the greatest organizers of Christianity. And so that's what John Wesley is really known for. And so if we, that's why we're called Methodists, is because, we, because of John Wesley being a great organizer, okay? And so that's one of the things that we want to revisit is how can we get that back? How can, what can we learn from John Wesley and the way that he organized his church into small groups and classes and things like that to help his church grow? And so we talked about, you know, six things for building that we'll be focusing on is Bible knowledge and application. And we talked about Bible memory. We talked about having healthy relationships, which includes one-on-one, and also corporate, which includes our relationship with the church. And we talked about how we're going to focus on worship. You were also Part of discipleship is teaching about worship. What does it mean to worship God, okay? And then we talk about our prayer and devotional life, okay? You know, not everything's just about, you know, being practical, but everything starts from your prayer and your devotional life, your spiritual life. And then we talk about being spiritually filled or the spirit fullness, which is the role of the Holy Spirit in our own lives. 
And so when it comes to Bible knowledge and application, we, talked, we said that you, those children in our church, by the time they reach the age of 12, these are the goals. These are some of the goals that we want to be able to accomplish, and that is that we want them to understand that the Bible is God's absolute truth. We want them to know the, the uh, major Old Testament and New, New Testament stories and character. We want them to understand the basic Bible doctrines, such as who is God the Father, who is Jesus the Son, who is the Holy Spirit, what is sin? What is salvation? What is the church? And how we also want them to understand that Jesus Christ is coming again, the second coming, the reign of Christ in the, during the second coming. We also want them to learn about the essentials for Christian growth. We want them to be able to pray, okay? We want them to be able to pray to accept Jesus Christ in their own lives. We want them to understand the importance, the need for them to read the scriptures on a daily basis. So that's Bible reading. We want them to be able to practice forgiveness towards one another. We want them to know how to overcome temptation, just as Jesus Christ himself overcame temptation. We want our children to have fellowship among themselves. We want them to develop relationships among themselves. We want them to be able to witness, tell their own personal story about their own faith. We want them to understand what it means to have faith. We want them to be, be good stewards of time, money, and gifts by the time that they're 12 years of age. By the time they're 18, by the you know, time they're 18 years old, we want them to have confidence in the Bible's reliability as God's revelation. And so in order for us to do this, we really need to, we really need to look into the scriptures. What is the historic, what is the history behind the scriptures? What is, you know, what are some of the, you know, we, we have to just be able to criticize the Bible? How can we critique the Bible from a historical standpoint? How do we critique the Bible from, from a textual standpoint, okay? Things of these sort. How can we critique it to the point that we will have enough confidence that the Bible is the Word of God? And one of the things that we often find is that many seculars who are against the Scriptures, they often use different, uh, different standards for different things. And so when they, go, when they talk about secular, um, secular sources, and secular topics, they often use a different standard, but when it comes to the scripture, they use a totally different standard against the scriptures, and they totally dismiss the scripture as something that is reliable. But how can we as Christians, how can we as Christians defend our faith? How can we critique the scripture? How can we understand, you know, how do we understand the manuscripts that are available to us? Of course, we don't have any of the original manuscripts anymore, but the ones that we do have, how do we critique these things in order for us to be able to have that confidence that it is reliable for us? That is something that we can depend on because the, the manuscripts of the scripture, there's more there's more manuscripts for the Bible than there is of other, other ancient um, um, writings, okay? But many times we often don't know that, even as Christians, oftentimes we don't know that. When we just listen to the seculars, they talk about, you know, they, they apply a totally different standard to the Scripture because they see it simply as a religious text, and so they dismiss it. And so as Christians, how do we... How do we um, go about doing that. So these are things that are important for us to teach our children so that as they leave our church, they'll be able to stand firm in their faith. Part of this is understanding the overview of the Old Testament and New Testament. Understand the history of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Why is it that each book was, was written, right? I talked a little bit about this last week. When we look at the scriptures, when we look at just like the book of Colossians, 
what is the whole purpose? Why did Paul even write that letter? Right? Paul wrote that letter to rebuke the idea of religious pluralism within the church at that time. So that's why Paul, Paul was emphasizing to them that Jesus Christ is enough. Christ is the supreme authority that he is enough. Okay? And so when we read the scripture, we understand these things. When we look at um, the gospel, we also see the different purposes in the gospel. Okay? We see the different purposes in the gospel, such as Matthew. What is the purpose of Matthew? Why, was Matthew? why did Matthew write? Why did Matthew write his gospel? Why did Mark write his gospel? Why did Luke write his gospel? Why did John write their, his gospel? Why are the first three gospels called the synoptics in the, the last gospel, the gospel of John, not included in that? What are the reasons for that? Like I said last week, when we read John, it's totally different because it starts, John takes us all the way to the beginning. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word is God, right? While, all the, while, the, other, while the other Gospels doesn't take us to that. So what is John's whole purpose of doing that? Because John wants us to understand that Jesus Christ is not just another prophet, Okay, he's just not another pastor. He's just not another priest. He's just not another teacher. But that he is God himself. And so John takes us all the way to the beginning. And he argues for that. He says, look, look, in the beginning was the word. Okay, in the beginning. So he takes us all the way to Genesis. He quotes Genesis. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word is God. And so he, he's arguing for the divinity of Jesus Christ. Okay, so some of these are some examples that we want, we want our people to understand by the time they leave. We want them to recognize the lordship of Jesus Christ. We want them to understand the concept of the spirit-filled life and experience it, experiencing it in their lives. We want them to comp- comprehend that the Bible has authority as the true word of God. We want them to continue to actively participate in Bible learning experience as they leave our church, that they will continue to seek out other Christian groups out there. Many times our children leave our church and they, they don't seek out other Christian groups anymore, right? And we don't want that. We want them to, even when we're, you know, when they're living with us and you know, a lot of times we, we, we force them to do things, but once they leave the house, we want them to be able to, out of their own will, out of their own choice, we want them to be able to actively, you know, participate and, and search for ways to learn more about the scriptures, okay? You know, many of us, you know, we, we learn the scripture our whole life. There's always always more to reveal to us when it comes to studying the scripture. And then we talk about applying a biblical truth to every area of our life, personal, family, work, church, out in the marketplace, out in society in general. And this week, what I want to focus on is Bible memory. Okay, the scripture that we read from Psalms talks about, you know, keeping the word of God in our hearts so that we will not sin against God. And that's what we want to do, is that when we memorize the Bible, when we remember what is in the Bible, when we have some kind of Bible memory program that helps our students, help our church memorize the Bible, then we will be able to make decisions that are according to the will of God and not according to our own will. We'll be able to move the church forward according to God's will and not according to our will. Because we understand that the church does not belong to us, but at first belongs to Jesus Christ. He is the Lord of the church. He is the head of the church. And every decision that we make, everything that we move the church towards 
is always towards the will of God that is revealed to us in Scripture. So this is very important. And I talked last week about how Jesus overcame the temptations in the desert. He overcame the temptation of Satan in the desert by quoting the Scriptures. And we see many times, we see many times that throughout his life, as he got into debates and as he got into arguments with the religious leaders of his time, he was constantly, constantly quoting from scriptures. If we study the history of Christianity, we will see, we will see that the church, the, 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 the history of the church always gets to a certain point in which the church has gone too far away from scripture. And it always needs to be reformed. That's the whole point of the Reformation. Okay, many times people will come up to me and they'll say, Pastor, why, why, do you, why are you even a Christian? Because Christians, you know, they, they have such a bloody history. They have such a bad history. They used to do so many bad things back in the, you know, back in the you know, 15th, 16th century. They used to do so many of these bad things. And I always tell them, of course, because throughout the years, just like anything, throughout the years, we move further and further and further away from the Scripture. And we end up adding all these rules, end up adding all these things to the Scriptures, and with all these traditions and things like that to the Scripture. And it always needs to be reformed again. And that's why the, 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 the Reformation fathers, that's why they had to reform the church. That's why they had to rise back up. And they had to point them back to the Bible, say, you know, this is what the Bible says. This is what the scripture says. And we've moved too far away from that. And that's why we're corrupted. Right? That's, why, that's why we're out there selling indulgences and, and things like that instead of preaching about faith anymore. Instead of preaching about salvation anymore. Instead of putting our faith in Jesus Christ anymore, we're putting our faith in, in the church organization, in the church tradition. Many times we put our faith in the priest, in the pope. And our faith is no longer in Jesus Christ. It is not a coincidence, okay? It is not a coincidence that the Reformation took place only a couple of decades after the invention of the printing press. It's not a coincidence for that. There is a purpose for that because once the printing press came out, people were able to read the scriptures for themselves. And so they turned back to the scripture, and Luther, of course, Luther started the Reformation in 1517, October 31st, 1517. And the whole point was we got to get back to the Scriptures. We got to get back to the Scriptures. Because we've moved too far away. We've become too corrupted. We, we've added all these rules, all these laws, all these traditions that we're moving further and further away from God. And if we look at Jesus Christ's, we look at Jesus Christ's uh, ministry, pretty much the same thing. Jesus often argued with the religious leaders of his time because they have, they have added so many laws. They've added all these human traditions to the faith that it became a burden for people to be part of the kingdom. Rather than setting them free, it became a burden. And so Jesus was taking them back, saying, let's go back to the scriptures. Let's go back to the simplicity of the faith. Let's, let's throw out all these human traditions, all these human rules, human laws, and let's go back to the simplicity. And so that's one of the things is remembering the Bible brings us back to that. So some of the passages for us to remember are the plan of salvation, ten commandments, the greatest commandment, you know, loving your God and loving your neighbor, that's the greatest commandment, the great commission, okay? Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Of course, the Lord's Prayer, we recite that every single Sunday. 
fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, and armor of God in Ephesians, okay? So some of these are, are key Bible verses that we want our children by the time of 12 years old for them to remember them. We also want them to know the books of the Bible, the 66 books that's within the Scriptures. And so it goes back to that Bible verse, I have hidden your words inside my heart that I may not sin against you. So by the time they're 18, we want them to commit these essential Bible verses to memory. Uh, Bible verses such as, you know, about assurance of salvation, resisting temptation. And some of these Bible verses that I put up are John chapter 1, verse 12, 33, 16, Romans 3, 23, and, and, and Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through verse 9, okay? About being saved by faith, not, not of works, right? Being saved by faith, not of works. It, it is a Bible verse that is totally in conflict with what the, the Roman Catholic Church was doing back in the 16th century because they were promoting that salvation is by works. And, and um, Luther saying, no, it's not by works. It's by faith. And it's by grace alone through faith. And so Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, 9, 8 through 9. So these are some of the key scriptures for us to memorize. And then as they leave here, like I said, we want them to continue to review scriptures for memory. It's a very important part for us is that it's just committing ourselves to uh, remembering scriptures in our hearts, keeping them in our hearts. So we don't sin against God. In other words, we don't go against his will. But we understand what his will is for the church. We understand what his will is for us. And so we move as according to the will of God. Even many times the will of God is not what we want. Okay? Many times the will of God is not what we desire. But that's what, that's what it means to surrender to God. That's what it means to, to trust in him. That's what it means to have faith in him. You trust in God even when his words contradict what you may feel or what I may feel. We still continue to follow him. That's trusting and having faith in God. And so um, we'll always, you know, every week I'll always go back to, do, to doing a, a little review of the, the past week's um, topic. And then I'll go into the new topic. And so the new topic next week, when we talk about building, is we'll be focused on healthy, I, f- I forgot the why there, <laughs> but we'll be focused on healthy relationships, okay? And so we'll be focusing on healthy relationships, building healthy relationships in our own personal life, and building healthy relationships within the church also, okay? And so at this time, at this time we will not be, like I said, we will not be doing the, we will not be passing the offering plate around. But what I'm going to do is I am going to pray for us. And um, after I pray for us, at, when we leave, uh, do feel free to put your tithes and your offerings into the place that are in the back of um, the room. Okay? So let us pray together. God, we thank you so much for your blessing today. We thank you so much for your words. You continue to review your words to us. And we pray that we will have this passion and this desire to keep it in our hearts just as David and the psalmist did as they kept your words in their hearts so that they may not sin against you. And so we pray that this message here today, that your words here today will lift us up for your kingdom. And so, Father, at this time, we also pray for the offerings and the tithes that we'll be bringing before you here at the end of our worship service. We ask for your blessings to be upon those tithes and those offerings and your blessings to continue to be upon our church. Even though we go through this time of uncertainty with this virus, Let us keep our faith in you. Let us keep our hope in you, knowing that you have already defeated all these things and that this too will pass. And so we lift everyone up to you. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.